Hey guys, welcome to the Blip Podcast, where we help agents build successful agencies. My name is Josh Berg, and on this episode, I got to talk to Bobby Stocks. That's not actually his real name, but we get into that in the show. So if you don't know Bobby's story, he has super humble beginnings, but over the last two years, he's seen his team and his revenues grow like crazy. Today, we discuss how he built and is building his team. But before we get into it, this episode is brought to you by our anti-aggregator Blue Lion Insurance Partners, or BLIP for short. We're partnering with agents or agency owners in Washington, Oregon, and Arizona. Check out what we're doing at bluelioninsurancepartners.com. And without further delay, Here's my conversation with Bobby Stocks. Hey, everybody that listens to this on the podcast or catches later on, on uh, Facebook, welcome to the Blip Podcast, where we help agents build successful agencies. Uh, if you have not liked or subscribed to the podcast, put a link in the comments. Um, please make sure you do so. It really helps us out. And you guys, I've got a, a really special guest for you today, uh, the one and only Bobby Stocks. Bobby, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, what's going on, Josh? Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who don't know Bobby, he runs a number of digital marketing companies as uh, co-founder of some software companies that, um, well, just the growth of his companies is, is pretty crazy. This year, they'll finish the year somewhere between seven to 10 million. See, see how that ends up. Um, but anyway, so because he's had so much growth, he's really had to figure out how to build a solid team and how to do it fast. So that's our discussion today is building, you know, basically team building, how to build a solid team, what that looks like. So Bobby, I thought it would be helpful if we could, you know, I'll just pass it over to you, let you kind of give a brief history to people who don't know you of kind of like where you come from and how you got to where you are today. Awesome. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. So um, I actually got into entrepreneurship, as like a full-time gig in 2012 and before that I worked in the restaurant business so um, I first started working in restaurants when I was 14 went to culinary school I was uh, born and raised right outside of Philadelphia went to culinary school in Philadelphia um, and then uh, you know, bounced around a couple of restaurants, became a head chef at 21 and ran a, a big high end country club for close to 10 years up until um, 2012 when I decided that I was completely miserable working at a restaurant and that there was, you know, I just, I think like all, anybody who opens up their own shop, right? You want to be able to make more money. You want to be able to have yep. more freedom. You want yep. control over your life. And, you know, I was just, I just was, I was tired of, of punching the clock and, you know, living for the weekend and living for my, my one, you know, uh, two week paid vacation that I got every year where I went to the same place, um, which was the Jersey shore and, Nice. <laughs> got drunk and <laughs> did the stereotypical Jersey Shore, you know, get drunk, get in a fight, get sunburnt. Um, so, yeah. Never been there. Never been there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's exactly like the show Jersey Shore. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, were, you were shacked up with like 
eight different people for oh, it was like a ridiculous we'd have like a yeah. it would be like a beach condo with you know empty kegs everywhere um but anyway no yeah so 2012 i got out of it now i i did have some experience because in the restaurant business you're managing a lot of people um so uh i i was able to pull that off you know looking at what we've done now compared to what i did then obviously i would say that I was making my mistakes in managing people back then um, compared on to someone else's dime. Nice. Yeah. On somebody, which is always the better way to do it <laughs> right. um, compared to, to what we've been able to put together um, over the last number of years. But yeah, so I got into entrepreneurship 2012. Um, I actually sold insurance for a little bit. I was selling uh, life and health insurance. Um, and at the same time I started a contracting company and I, I built up a small team with that. And I started to, I think at, the, at this phase, I actually started to learn the importance of a team, not from an, uh, like, cause at the country club, it was my team, but I wasn't funding the country club. I wasn't paying for all the inventory. Like, you know, I managed the team, but I didn't have, an understanding of everything that was going in the back. So I built the construction company up, which is where I learned digital marketing, you know, just like we all, we all start a business and then we all realize we need leads and then we all buy leads. And then we realize that those leads suck and, you know, it boils down to like, all right, I got to generate the lead so yeah. that I know that at least this is like somewhat legit. Um, so construction is the same. Um, <laughs> It's the same as every other industry, but which is how I got into marketing. But we built that team up, and I, you know, at that point, then I started to understand the whole other layer of just how important it is to have the right people in the right seat. Um, which is a, it's that's kind of a quote from a um, a team building book. You know, it, it's not it's not good enough to have the right people. You actually have to have the right people in the right seat for it to work. Seat meaning role, right person in the right position. And that's, you know, my last job, my last business, I had the right people sometimes. Um, they just weren't in the right role, you know. Um, and I see a lot of people do that. Like they have a guy who's like committed, he's great, he shows up on time, kind of does what he says, but they have him in a role that he can never be great at. Um, yeah. And it's, it's like, you, you it's always hard, you know, you don't want to let go of somebody who's a great person. Um, but if they're in the wrong, if they're in the wrong role in the wrong seat, it's you, you're almost better off having a terrible person in, who's good at the right seat um, and just kind of deal with that. So, yeah, so that company was like, it burnt me out. And uh, I realized that I was much better. Um, you know, it's, I, I loved marketing. So, um, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I got into that. And over the last two years, like really, I, I shut down the construction company in, um, December, 2015 and 2016, I said, all right, I'm going to go into marketing, um, and kind of like make this my focus. And, um, we really didn't pick up steam until the end of 2016, but yeah, since then to now, um, I have a couple different companies and across all those companies, 
we're somewhere in the mid 20, 25 ish employees at this point. Um, yeah, so it's grown really fast. We've been scaling like scaling is like air to us right now. <laughs> it's like the only thing that we've been doing, um, which is an entire other topic. But yeah, I mean, I think that the main, I would say like the main fundamental theme attributed to the growth is getting the right people in the right seat. Um, and we look at, in our business, we look at seats as like five pillars. So marketing, sales, uh, delivery, client retention or management and finances, right? Those are like your, those are your main like five seats, hierarchy of those seats. Now there's sub seats and subdivisions of each one of those as you get bigger. Um, but those are the five. And, and that's what I can say that, that I always point to the uh, attributor of the growth is getting the right people in those right seats um, and specifically filling the right seat that is causing the bottleneck in your business. Mm, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I want to pause on this, on this uh, line because something I don't think we're ever going to have a segue into that I really wanted, I really wanted to touch on is, okay, stocks is not your last name, right? How did you get to be known as Bobby Stocks? I lost a ton of money in the in the stock market. <laughs> so is this like a like a uh, like a pun name or like you yeah, know yeah, you call yeah. big guy tiny and yeah? So people so. Guys started kind of like calling me stocks because all I ever, it's, it's, I mean, you know, I'm the typical igniter entrepreneur. Like I get an idea and I get obsessed with it. Um, it's like why I got so good at Facebook ads and, you know, now like moving on to other things is once I like get really interested in something, I just have an obsessive mind around it. Mm -hmm. And while I was in the restaurant business, like I was, I didn't have a college degree. I was just like really having a hard time grasping how I could do anything else. Um, and I was sitting in a coffee shop in 2008 and I was eavesdropping on these two guys <laughs> behind me. And the guy was talking about how this, how he was going to hit it big on this stock and it was, uh, he was going to pay off his house with it. And I'm like listening to him like this. I'm like leaning back. And he's talking about Freddie and Fannie Mae. Right. And in 08, they like plummeted from, I don't know what they were at, the, at before they dropped. They might have been $40 or $50 stocks. And they plummeted and they were down to like 30 cents. And this guy was saying, I'm going all in on Freddie and Fannie Mae. And it's going to like, it's going to pay off the whole house. So I'm listening to this guy and I'm like, I'm going to do some research. So I go home and I just, I start, I just get sucked into the stock market. Um, and Dude, I did I not, while you're telling the story, I cannot help but picture George Costanza in uh, <laughs> Seinfeld when he like, I don't know if you watch that show, but he gets some stock tips. Oh, and it becomes <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. It's so fun. Anyway, keep going. Yeah. So, I mean, it, and I, you know, the guys, the, the guy, his, his tip that I eavesdropped on was good. It was a good tip. I bought it. I dropped about 
like five grand in between Freddie and Fannie Mae at, I think it was like 36 cents was my buy point or something like that. And it went up to 130 and I sold out, I think between a dollar and a dollar 10. So at, at that point I was hooked. I was like, Holy oh yeah. Shit. Like, you know, I'm like a head chef and I'm making like 60 K a year. And I just like totally like, tripled my money yeah in like a month so i was like this is the ticket right here and um quickly i went from you know blue chip stocks and i was looking at the returns on that and i was like penny stocks ah, i dabbled in penny stocks for a little bit too yeah. oh man so, so for four years i was obsessed with penny stocks um, I had days where I, you know, would make twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, and then I had days where I would lose twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, and yeah, yeah, I was a, I was on all the forums. I had my own chat groups. It was basically like internet marketing, but in, in the penny stocks. And at the, the end of it all, like I had like absolutely nothing to show for it. Just like wasted four years because um, I just <laughs> lost everything. No, yeah. you didn't. You you have you have a name to show for it. Right, right. Yeah. So my buddies started calling me stock. My buddies started calling me stocks. They, I'd show up. They'd be like stocks. Um, so, That's so yeah, funny. That just stuck, and everybody. Yeah, I, I get mail. Like I get physical mail that has that on it. My when me and my wife got married, some of her family, her like extended family, thought my last name was stocks. That's awesome. So my mom doesn't um, mind. She's just kind of yeah. rolls. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, back to the meat here. Okay. So you've had um, out of necessity to, <laughs> to build a team, right? And to hire pretty quickly and to be able to scale and get the right people in the right positions. So like, where do you start? Like, do you just hire someone to help you? Or do you start with like a larger vision of the actual team and hire each position? How do, like, where do you, how do you hire somebody? Like, what do you so, hire for? So from like, um, from like a content, like if you were coming at this from, okay, how do I like educate myself? Like I did it very much on the fly. Um, and really for me, it was because I had my own breakthrough about which seat I was best in. Um, because in my contracting business, even though I wasn't, like I had built that up to the point where I wasn't out building the fence, right? I wasn't loading the truck. Um, I wasn't even selling the job. All I was doing was generating the leads, which is the right seat for me to be in. The right seat for me is marketing and strategy. Um, marketing, lead gen strategy, right? But the problem there was is that I was still managing all five seats, so okay. even though even though I was just focusing my my day to day on doing one of those I was making all the decisions in all the other ones. So I had I kind of had tricked myself into thinking that I was doing business the right way um and I was building the right business but I saw myself as the expert in every single one of those, right? So when I went out to the job, I, you know, I was calling the shots over the foreman, right? So I was a control freak over the process. 
And so I wasn't really owning the, uh, what my role in my seat was, right? And in order for me to really own it, I have to let and I have to hire people that I believe are way better than me in those positions. Um, like I think they that's, were, yeah, I think yeah. that's probably the most the most difficult thing for business owners to do is because like the usually the personality type of someone who is going to start a business is kind of like a driven go type personality. And that's somebody who's usually likes to be in control and control everything. And so the thing that's going to help you get to where you want to get to is going against what brought you to where you are at the, at the moment. So it's like, it's kind of like a yeah. catch 22, super difficult. Right. Yeah. And that's what the problem was because like subconsciously what I would do is I would, I would end up hiring people that like, if I was really honest with myself, looking back on it, were below my skill in that position. Right. And it, it kept me, it allowed me to stay in control. Um, but ultimately it was, became really hard to scale. So, you know, when I got another chance at doing this for the first year, 2016, why it really took us to take off was because I was trying to run a solo operation, right? Like I was like back in this idea of, um, let me see if I can make like $10,000 a month and I'll just run everything. Right. So yeah. I'll have no overhead. And, um, and the problem was, is, is now because it, it, it just, the business looked very different. Um, it was much harder selling for me because uh, I'm much better selling in person and I didn't, I was just doing everything. Um, and for me, that's really where it shifted was I realized like I am good at marketing. I suck at sales. I hate having to continue. Like if I have to continually do the delivery, like above and beyond, like figuring out the system, then I, I get, I get worn out. Um, I can deal with clients to a certain point. If they start stressing me out, I fire them. <laughs> Finances don't even, let's not even go there. I don't even pay attention. Um, you know, if I, if I feel like the business needs something, I just buy it. I don't even look at a budget. Um, so I overspend, right? So I, I just realized I'm doomed currently. Like I looked at my business and I was like, I am completely doomed. There is no way that this thing is ever going to one, make money two be stable three, like give me any kind of satisfaction. Um, and, and then I just stepped back and I said, where is the problem right now? Right. And my biggest problem at the, at that moment was I could generate leads and I couldn't close. Right. So I started, addressing these pillars based off of what was bottlenecking the business. And so, you know, the first guy I hired was a sales guy, which allowed me to then generate more leads. Meaning when I was trying to do the sales, I, uh, it was like a catch 22 for myself because if I did a good job at generating leads, then it was just more money I would blow through because I wouldn't close the leads. Yeah, so I would then stop generating, which then doesn't give me any sales or anybody to talk to. And then I would reluctantly go back in and generate more leads and go through all these sales calls and maybe close somebody on follow-up 
So it was just this really painful process. Um, yeah. So once I was like, okay, I know how to generate leads. I don't know how to close. I'm not even going to bother with it. I just went out and I found a sales guy who was willing to take 20% and no base salary. Um, and basically he was working at another job and he had some free time. And I was like, if I send you these calls and do you think you could close them? And he was like, yeah, what the hell? Um, <laughs> yeah. And the next month we did $30,000 <laughs> wow. and he wasn't, he wasn't even that good of a sales guy. It was just that I started generating leads like an absolute madman. It was like, cause I had no more fear in the back of my mind or that I was like going to blow this. I didn't care. Like I wasn't, I was just like more leads. Hey, just got another 10 calls. It was like, we were booking like 10, 15 calls a day just through pay traffic. And it was just like, bang, 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 bang. Um, and then the next month I looked at his sales numbers and I talked to another guy who was like a more experienced sales guy. And he was like, Oh, these sales numbers are, aren't that great. Um, and then he was like, I'd like to take a crack at it because he saw the amount of traffic I was then driving. Right. So I had some real value at that point. Um, and he stepped in and he just started closing them down. I remember it was like the next day he closed three, three marketing retainers in one day. And I was like, what? And that was like, a tr like for me to close three clients in a month was like a miracle month. Yeah. <laughs> and this dude, and that, and then, so that created the next problem, which was, well, now you gotta deliver on all Fulfillment. this Fulfillment, yeah. Right. So I'm like, well, I know I can do fulfillment. Like I can handle this for a little bit, but it's going to drive me nuts again. And I'm going to hate the business and I'm going to want to go after a different business model. And next thing you know, I'll be out there trying to do affiliate marketing. And, and that's when I was like, okay, I need to find somebody who knows how to run ads, right? Just basically somebody to back me up. And that's what, it, and you know, I, I, I lucked out and I actually found somebody who knew how to run ads and, Turns out they were actually even better dealing with clients. So I was able to fill, uh, I was able to fill pillars three and four at that point. Um, and then once we got that process in, I looked at, I looked at it again and said, okay, where's the gap now? And we, you know, we we had picked up a lot of clients. And we were we were doing well, and I knew that I could turn up the ad, I could turn up our lead generation, right? I could add more sales guys. But what I what our current model looked like is we were we were still handicapped in delivery, right? Um, so then I I I pulled the delivery person into client management because they were better at that, and I went out and I and I got somebody who was really good at systems, right? Because uh, really delivery delivery isn't so much about somebody who can run ads. Delivery is about somebody who knows how to create SOPs, systems, and processes that allows you to take something complex, simplify it, and you know, basically turn whatever you're doing into McDonald's. Um, yep. And that's where we went out and got a CTO. And that was basically like the core. Like I look at my all, uh, all the different businesses that I have, you know, we have an ad agency, we have a white label agency, we have um, three different software products, one that's on the market, two coming to market. Um, we have another like course division that has a half dozen courses, um, and all of them, 
all of them, we, we just, we just have these core pieces and I have the core team that kind of will like move in and out of all of them. Um, but that's basically it. It's like, I fi find the right people in the right place at the right time. Right. I guess that would be the third part at the right time. Um, you know, we didn't add on somebody into finance until 2000, uh, until the, the, uh, beginning of 2018. That's when we like filled the finance gap. Um, yeah. Because at that point, it was like we were just at we were building the team. Basically, a, a majority of the money that was coming in was going right back out to OPEX because we're just scaling. When you scale, it's like your OPEX goes way out of control. Um, but that's what was just like, let's just keep going. Let's just keep building. Let's keep getting more clients. Let's keep getting more systems in place. Um, and then really last year is when we brought somebody in who then started going over everything with a fine tune tooth comb, creating budgets, creating, you know, using a lot of like profit first principles, yeah. um, not sticking like a hundred percent to profit first because profit first is pretty rigid and can yeah. be difficult. Like when you're scaling profit first, like isn't definitely profit first, I would say is definitely good to bring in the place. Like when you're like, okay, we're not going to scale for like the next six months. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we brought, you know, we brought somebody in and, and then we, you know, really put it together um, in that in that way to like now we're going back and you know the last the last really year and a half we've just been studying um, where to increase revenue, where to increase margins, how to do it without having to like create too many new divisions or products or service offerings that have to be built on the like you know on a front end, right? Um, yeah. So, so your overall so your overall structure is you just kind of like say hey we've got these five pillars of of need basically like something's gonna fall in one of these five pillars you have people in each of those and then you just kind of wait until they're overloaded and you hire another person to help in that yeah i mean your yeah and your best bet is if you get the right person in the right seat they they are just like i'm passionate about marketing and when you put me in marketing and you just allow me just to do that i perform at a high level it's the same thing for everybody else, right? So if I have a sales guy, like I just want my sales guy selling. I don't want him having to do any other stuff. And I, that's another thing I see a lot of business owners do is they have people that are, that are in the right seat, you know, right person, right seat, but then they have them doing other stuff. I mean, you see this in a lot of big corporations, especially, um, I mean, I just know I, I've, Wells Fargo kind of does it where they have like salespeople doing the most absurd things. Um, <laughs> just like miles of paperwork and like, you know, sweeping floors and they're just yeah. trying to, and it just, you know, if you can get the right person in the right seat and get them to just focus on doing what comes natural to them, um, it makes it easier to scale that pillar because they become so passionate about what they're doing that as long as you find another person who's inside that same like disc profile, you can put them directly underneath them and they will just train them up. So all those divisions, like we've even gotten to the point where those divisions will have their own meetings. So like the sales guys, they have their own meetings. I'm not involved in them, right? Hmm. Like client retention. Do you, have, do you have like a manager of the salespeople or is that something yeah, that comes so up to yeah, so 
ideally, it's always going to be the first right person, right seat, as long as they're passionate, right? You just elevate them up. Um, and then from there, you know, it's like once you get somebody in the mindset of where like they get exactly that their job is this, they're great at this. And we reinforce that the entire time. Like when, when somebody comes into that, <clears throat> usually they are trying to do other stuff and we're just like, no, like you're just going to do this. Um, and they'll be like, Hey, do you need help with that? And I'm like, no, you're just going to do this. <laughs> Cause if you just do this, then I can just do this and it'll work better. But they really like, once they get that, it's like, they're able to transmit that to somebody that's, that's like them. Right. So, um, they're able to just take over the division. That's that's kind of yeah. how we've had it. We haven't had to like make a ton of changes. Of course, you know, over the last number of years, like we've had to replace some people and you know, realize some people were like right person, not really right seat, um, or right person, um, they were in the right or maybe wrong person at that yeah, time yeah. in the right seat, you know. So, but but typically it's it's actually been pretty smooth and you know, the question that everybody always says, where do you find these? Yeah, that's my question. Where do you find the right people, right? Right. So I'm a little like like woo-woo spiritual about that one uh, because most of the right people have what I feel like come to me. Um, and, I, and I think that's just – I think it's because of how committed we are to the idea of the right person in the right seat and not having them do like a bunch of other bullshit. Um, Cause it creates an environment where everybody's like really committed and passionate about what they're working on. Um, but I mean, one thing I will say is that um, as entrepreneurs, like I, I do believe there's, there's a huge section of people trying to be entrepreneurs that aren't like they, they, they would be like way happier if they were just put in the right seat inside of a, a company that has like a very collaborative atmosphere to it. So like we have a lot of entrepreneurs that work on the team. And the benefit is that there's a team of super like a players that are hyper passionate about what they do. And some of them have side hustles or this, that, and the other. Um, and everybody's just kind of like focused on a big goal. Um, and that just, for some reason for us, that just attracts people that like really know what the fuck they're doing. Um, so and they, let me, and they, and they, this is a PG <laughs> podcast. Oh, you're sorry. good, dude, but just <laughs> yeah, for the future. I didn't mention it yet. Sorry <laughs> for all you 12 year olds that are listening. <laughs> Excuse my language. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I think from from a founder standpoint, it's um, you have to. Or I should say. Nobody has to do anything should say, I have to celebrate the wins that my team gets, right? Without them completely, I'm back to being broke, confused, and can't close a deal. 
Um, so you're saying you that, celebrate those wins like with them, for them. Yeah. Not yeah, just like the, celebrate them personally, right? Yeah. Like uh, the two comic club award that we just won, you know, I, I, I loaded up the whole team on that one. Um, the copywriter, the guy who built the funnel, all that. Um, you know, and I think for, for founders, it's always kind of, it's that like internal, there's a couple things that happen. Like there's the, the fear that like you're, somebody's going to steal that person from you. Right. If, if people know this person and I'm constantly saying, Oh, so-and-so is great because they did this and look, you know, is somebody going to poach him? And that is a real fear. And, you know, I've had team members that have been approached and offered money to leave and they mm -hmm. haven't. And they've come and told me like, guess who just offered me this much. Um, and that's like, every time that fear comes up for me, like I always have to check myself and say, um, like if I'm not gonna celebrate somebody doing a really excellent job and shine the light on them and let make sure that the world knows how, how good they are at, at their role, um, like, am I, am I actually being a good steward? Right? Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm being selfish, um, and self-centered. Right. And I'm trying to take all the credit to myself. And the, the funny thing that happens is like people, like I have the fear, like, okay, if I speak up, they, I could lose them. But the reality is if I don't speak up, I will lose them. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. So and I think other, like, that's like, yeah. I was go just going to say, like, it, it's like if, if there was like a culture, that would be like, I would say that's the culture. Yeah. So, so that, that's what I was going to kind of ask is like, so um, aside from giving people praise and recognition, is there other things that you specifically do or ways that you try to foster a certain environment or anything like that? Or do you just be you and let everyone be themselves? Yeah, I mean, we'll do like, you know, we'll do team, we, we do a lot of team meetings. Uh, we do a lot of sidebar meetings with divisions. We do a lot of team meetings. Um, but it is kind of just like, I mean, the, I try to set the tone of the culture. If I mess own it in front of everybody and I, you know, I tell them that how I dropped the ball and how it affected them. Um you know, that's, that's how I try to set the tone of, of yeah. the culture. Um, and like team meetups are huge. Like we just did one in um, Tahoe a couple months ago. And those things, you know, the, the, the team little workations are always game changers for us. Yeah. Cool. Um, um, I wanted to also ask you like, okay, so pertaining to, you're, this is kind of a, a side step of what we've been talking about, but pertaining to the um, businesses that you have currently, is that something, it seems like maybe there's been a shift in that. Like, so I was going to ask you, do you brainstorm um, business ideas or do you kind of just let them come naturally and try to say like, oh, this isn't available, done very well anywhere, let's do this. Or do you actually... Um, like brainstorm those ideas? Um, I would say it's definitely a combination of it. Typically what I think all business, I mean, all 
all solid business ideas come from there being a problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Um, right. And they say the bigger the problem, the bigger the money, but just in the, just in your day to day, I mean, in any business that you're doing, I would say the most successful businesses, they're, they're operating they're They have problems happening, whether it's problems, customer problems or, you know, cost per acquisition problems or whatever it may be. And I just think there's two, there's, there's two, uh, there's two teams, right? There's, there's the, the, the team that's losing, which is all the business owners that have problems come up and they want to blame customers. They want to blame vendors. Um, they want to blame the marketplace. They want to blame the economy or whatever. It's anything other than like them saying that they can shift, right? And then there's yeah. the companies that are winning that when they get negative feedback or something shifts, they say, okay, where do we need the shift? What do we need to fix? Um, is there a quick fix to it out in the marketplace? If there's not a fix in the marketplace, well, great. This is a great opportunity because we need to fix this. So let's create the, let's solve the problem for ourselves and then also sell the solution to everybody else who's been avoiding solving the problem. And that's, that's basically just the simplistic path that we've went down. Um, and it just, it branches off and it, you know, once that starts to happen, um, where we do sit down and brainstorm business ideas that, that aren't happening organically out of problems that are coming up are around profit margin, right? And this has been like specifically the last four or five months, this is really what I've started to become obsessed with, which is okay. how to create more profit margin without spending money to acquire clients, right? Or customers or whatever it is, because yeah. your high, your highest expense is acquiring clients, right? And, you know, the old age old stating, uh, saying he who can spend the most to acquire a client wins. Well, the reason why they say that is because the, that's not true. It's only true if you have a very deep backend funnel. Um, so we've really been looking at all of our businesses and saying, what can we add on to this that requires very little output that can make more money? Um, whether it's an affiliate all, uh, deal that we can plug in or it's a new type of product that we can build. Um, and we've been looking at all of our systems like that, trying to figure out whether it's referral partners. And that's really been interesting. And the more I've talked to like uber successful businesses, I the more I've realized that most of these like really, really big businesses, um, especially once you get over like 50, $100 million, is that all of their revenue, like all their high margin profit is actually not coming from the front end business. Like what they're selling isn't what's actually making them the majority of the money. Um, hmm. They're typically just doing this to acquire. Like for instance, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is, all they do is sell syrup. Um, that's it. They sell a license to use their syrup. Um, there's a bunch of companies like that, that like most people would never realize that they are not what they advertise themselves as because they've optimized where their profit margins and their highest margins come from. Are you talking about Coca-Cola selling syrup to like restaurants? 
So, well, yeah, I mean, Coca-Cola in general, like, they, they're not like a production, like, they're not like sending out millions of bottles of Coke like most people think they are. They're just selling their syrup. That's it. And licensing it all. That's why when you go to different countries, Coke tastes different um, because it's it, they're always just selling the license to bottling factories. Um, huh. And because they realize that shipping bottles and selling bottles is not a, actually that profitable. Um, what's profitable is them just being a marketing company and then selling the license to a formula of syrup. So, yeah, so we've really become uh, starting to become really obsessed with, you know, how do we take the profit channels? Because we're spending money to acquire clients, right? We're all spending money or we're spending time to get clients in. And obviously in insurance, we all know we want to sell a client on something and then cross sell them everything else, right? Because that's where all your money comes from. So the same idea, but... I would say, you know, just like everything else, most business owners are there. We get in such a tunnel vision of like, how do I acquire that next client? Yeah. That we forget to look at, well, how do I actually set up a system on the back end where every client I acquire makes me three, five, 10 X profit on the back end without having to spend any more money. Nice. Sorry, I kind of, I kind of totally sidestepped on that one, but That's I was right. curious because I know that there's been. I was kind of, I, I was kind of hoping you would answer that way, or I kind of expected you to answer that way at the beginning because I've seen um, other people who have been in your courses and and um, how they've handled things, like kind of the way you have done it, where you see an issue or some sort of um, possible, not complaint, but objection somebody might have and just overcoming that in advance. So taking it off the table um, yeah. and it's been really cool. So anyway, I, yeah, I, mean, I, people- I, I learned that directly from a guy who does a hundred million dollars a year. I was sitting with him in North Carolina and he said, Bob, pro- problems are money. The yeah. more problems, the more money I make. And I was like, Whoa, this guy just flipped the script because Every other business owner I ever met is spending their entire day trying to avoid problems, right? (laughs) They're just trying to like shut the problems out. They're looking for a business that has no problems. Meanwhile, this guy's crushing it and he's attacking the problems because he realizes how big the opportunities are. Yeah. Nice. Dude, anything, anything else you want to add on team building or, or building a team, anything like that? Um, I don't know. It's like, for me, it's just follow your gut, you know, um, and hire, I would say, follow your gut. Like people that I hire, it's, I go by my gut. Like I make sure that they're hungry. I don't like, I I like hiring people that have like, kind of like, they've been through some shit. Excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. They've been through, they've been through some stuff, right? Like they have some life experience, you know? Um, and you know, I, I, I hire through my gut and I make sure like, if I'm afraid, if this person is like too advanced for me or too like, man, they're like way too good for, like, if I have a sense that like, I'm 
guess what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, maybe I'm intimidated by them. Then uh-huh. that's like a really good sign. I should hire them. Yeah. Right? Because you, you do like, it's like, if you can get yourself in a position where like most of the people in your company are smarter than you, you're doing a really good job. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Awesome. Dude. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I totally appreciate your time. Awesome. All right, man. Take care. Thanks everyone for listening.